This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Rock and Roll Express rolled through Calgary for another victory. Oh, coach Blaine Manning will stop by. The Colorado Mammoth are a half game out of first place, and overtime hero Brent Adams checks in. Lee Genier leaves the rush in a surprising move, but the rush are rolling thanks to a 14-4 run. All that and more on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio and on SoundCloud. My name is Teddy Jenner. As always, I haven't changed my name, even though Change Your Name Day was yesterday, the 13th, which means today is Valentine's Day. To all of you and yours, happy Valentine's. I'm here with a microphone. But there is a lot to talk about. And we weren't on air last week. I was traveling back from Denver, so I didn't have time to get into the studio to record last week. So we missed all of the news about the Greg Harnett suspension. Um, If you don't know what happened, his hearing was heard by the arbitrator. And they upheld his match penalty. So we still got the match, which led to a one-game suspension. However, because he's a repeat offender, he was supposedly to get five more games, which meant he would be on a six-game suspension. However, the arbitrator felt that the wording of the ruling written in the rulebook was ambiguous. So instead of getting one plus five, he just got five games for being a repeat offender. I have some issues with this. Because, yes, the wording is ambiguous. But it still doesn't take away the fact that he got a match penalty. So if this is the case, then I truly believe that they need to rewrite the rule and say that it's if you get your second match penalty in a two-year span, it should say you get one game for the match and four more games for being a repeat offense. Because that's essentially what the arbitrator has now said it is. And if he were to get one more within this two-year span, he would get, as the rule says, an additional 10 games. Which brings to the question, what's it in addition of? Is it addition of him being a repeat offender? Is it in addition to him getting a one or two match or two-game suspension from the match penalty? Which would be his third? So it's a slippery slope from the National Lacrosse League and Brian Lemon here. Um, it was surprising to see that result. I honestly thought that they were going to take, rescind the match penalty. But according to Lemon, they felt that because of the hit and because of Jeremy Noble being propelled into the boards head first, they felt that it was deemed a match penalty for him being violently hit into the boards. And again, if you're going by the rules, then okay. But then the arbitrator changed the rules because he felt they were ambiguous. Nonetheless, Greg Harnett has been suspended for five games, um, which will be six in total so far this year, meaning he will miss a third of the year. Um, The Calgary Refnex released a very brief statement 
um, and they've just moved on from it. They basically said they weren't happy with the ruling, but they can't do anything about it, and they will move on. And so we will move on until the next incident like this happens. And we may have already seen the next incident, and it happened at the end of the Vancouver game. And it was when Peter McFetridge hit Mike Mallory from behind, headfirst into the boards. And I believe it wasn't initially on the game sheet right at the end. Um, when I was looking at the stats and, and some of the Colorado staff were looking at it, they noticed that it wasn't on the game sheet. Well, if you go look at the game sheet now on NLL.com, you'll notice that McFetridge has indeed been given a boarding major and a game misconduct. Game misconduct. I never understood why they put it there twice unless they've given him two. But then it would have been listed twice. Moving on. The important part is that that was deemed a boarding major and not a match penalty. And yet it was significantly worse because Mallory is literally facing the boards and he's bent over and McFetridge hits him from behind it wasn't like a full head of steam, but he runs going after loose ball, hits Mallory, who goes in head first in the boards. And it's not called a match penalty. It's the same incident. In, in legit terms, it's a worse hit because a guy is facing the boards head first and gets hit head first in the boards, where Noble was five or six feet away from the boards and got hit. And it was called a match. So there's that slippery slope I was talking about. And it happens in every game. There is an incident. It happened in the Vancouver game with the Nick Ocello hit where Rich Reese Dutch drove the crease. Ocello was behind him, fell on top of him, carried through his hit as Dutch went to the ground. And Ocello was given a match penalty. And he was kicked out of the game. So, again, I understand that the league wants to look after player safety, but not everything is a match penalty. And not everything is as bad as it seems. And I think we might have gotten to the point where we're trying to be too protective and call too many majors and match penalties when they don't need to be. And then sometimes we don't do what we actually supposed to do. It's like the boy who cries wolf. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out as the year goes along because, you know, I understand, you know, you have three refs out on the floor. You're trying to catch everything. But sometimes too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing. And so we have to find that competitive balance where you let guys play the game, you know, to that edge. And sometimes things happen. Sometimes guys get their chipped, their teeth chipped. Sometimes guys take sticks to the throat or sometimes guys take a hack to the knee and sometimes you get hit hard into the boards. Sometimes it happens. It happens quite a lot in the game of lacrosse. That's what so many people love about the game. But when we put too much bubble wrap on it, 
then we get into a very dangerous area of what to call and what not to call and what should be a match or a major and what shouldn't be a match or a major. But we move on. The Toronto Rock will take on the Georgia Swarm this weekend in what will be an Eastern Beast matchup. And if you went into the year thinking that in Week 8 that the Toronto-Georgia game would be for first place overall. You might have been scratching your head and saying, no way, I'll take the under on that bet. It has happened, and it is coming true. And they are two of the hottest teams in the National Lacrosse League. The Georgia Swarm are the number one offense in all of lacrosse. They continue to put up just insane numbers every weekend. They find ways to score over and over and over again from everybody. And the way this team is going right now, the game against Toronto is going to be a fantastic one. And Georgia's the number one team in the NLL. Toronto was right behind them, a half game back. Then you have Saskatchewan and Colorado. That game this weekend is going to be for first place in the West. Colorado, a half game back of Saskatchewan. And we're getting set up for a fantastic weekend of lacrosse. The scoring charts are tightening up. The rookie scoring is just going through the roof this year. It has been an unreal start to the season. And... Blaine Manning has had a perfect seat for all of this as he is the offensive coordinator, coach, guru, stud, guy with the clipboard and tie. And he's been a part of some pretty, pretty good lacrosse teams. But none of those rock teams that he was a part of ever had an American lead them in scoring. And Tom Schreiber continues to make a statement in the National Cross League that you don't need any indoor experience to step into this league and have success. And that is a very bold and proud statement that needs to be heard by everybody because it was always the case that an American just can't step in and make an immediate impact offensively. They have to, you know, bide their time, they have to go through the process. They have to earn their stripes. Well, from the jump, Tom Schreiber continues to get it done, and he kicked things off with a power play goal in Calgary this weekend that was just the beginning of the iceberg for a guy who, in my opinion right now, is the rookie of the year. They work it to the top to Schreiber. Schreiber passes off, gets it back again. Now they'll go to the other side. Schreiber loads, fires, scores. Tom Schreiber on the power play, 1-0 Toronto. Well, Schreiber picking up right where he left off a week ago when he had a 10-point game. And yes, I know it is incredibly early, but I'm going to pose this question to you right now. If Toronto keeps up the pace that they are at and finishes 1-2 in the East and Tom Schreiber continues the toward pace that he is on, not only will he win Rookie of the Year easily and probably put down and place one of the best seasons we've ever seen from an American lacrosse player indoors, 
Is it possible that Tom Schreiber could win the MVP of the National Lacrosse League? And if you looked across the NLL right now, is he currently maybe even possibly in contention? I think you kind of have to say yes. Because, you know, without Tom Schreiber in the offense, are they where they are? I, I, I don't think they are. And I wish I would have asked Blaine Manning these questions when I caught up with him earlier, but it just happened through my process, my thought process later on the day. But when I caught up with Blaine, the first thing I asked was, how surprised are you? And was he and everybody within that rock organization at how quickly Tom has taken to the indoor game and had success in the rock offense? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty surprising. Um, I think uh, if uh, us as a coaching staff would have thought that uh, both here and Kiernan did uh, such a good job so quickly, we would uh, we'd be lying. So um, mm-hmm. he's he's just a really smart cerebral player who uh, you tell him something once and he picks it up and uh, and he's getting better every single day and and uh, you know what he works hard he's he's probably the uh, one of the hardest working guys uh, day in day out at practice too so uh, he wants to be there and wants to learn and he's doing a good job is he is he you know you say he's he's cerebral and he's taking things in like a sponge is he asking a lot of questions and he, is he asking the right questions um, you know what? Like earlier on in the process, uh, we just uh, when he when he agreed to come try out, uh, we just sent him some film. And, and to be honest, there hasn't been a whole lot of questions. He just, uh, you know, if if he's doing something that uh, we want to correct, we tell him. And like I said, it's kind of tell him once, and and uh, he seems to get it. Um, you know, there he's one of the best cross players in the world for a reason. So we just kind of want him to do his thing and. Uh, obviously, the box is a different game, but at the uh, at the end of the day, he's uh, he, he's a great lacrosse player, and we just want him to use his skill uh, in, in the box format. It's obviously got to help him having Kiernan there, having a guy that he can travel with week in and week out, a guy that he can kind of relate with if he needs to get away from you know the Canadian guys. He can have that friend along with him, which has to help for both of them, um, help the adjustments go a little smoother. Oh, for sure, for sure. From what I gather, they're pretty, uh, pretty tight, and they live uh, close to one another on the island. And they got a box net, and uh, they've been they've been practicing on that. And, and like you said, they travel together. And you know, he's done a great job too. I mean, he he gets lost a little bit in in kind of how uh, how well Tom's year's gone, but uh, he's mm-hmm. he's done a great job uh, too. We're we're really really pleased with him. He brings a a uh, different dimension to our left side that uh, that we've been lacking. So, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to have both those guys. It's kind of funny you say your left side has been lacking a dimension when it's been Doyle and Shooter and Steph LeBlanc for the past two years. Um, but without those two guys and without Robbie Hellier this year, how hard has it been for this offense to, to kind of find an identity? Yeah, I mean, it's it's – certainly been different um we're playing a little bit differently i think uh you know with the guys you'd mentioned with doily and shooter not being there they're obviously great uh great at distributing the ball um to, to the righties and stuff and then making you know casey uh Bjerns and and uh mr Littner, you know more effective but uh you know they, they've, they've done a good job and and um you know so again they got some strengths and they can both shoot the ball from the outside which uh which i think helps a little bit and defense has got to respect that a little bit and opens things up 
Um, but uh, you know, it's it's certainly different. Uh, but but we're we're doing okay, and we're going to continue to get better. There's no no doubt in my mind. Uh, you know, we're not scoring 18 a, a game like uh, like Georgia. Georgia yeah. But uh, but you know, we're with with the way we're playing and the way our defense and goaltending is, we don't uh, we don't need to do that. But uh, like I said, we're, we're every every game, every practice we go out there, those guys are getting better, and we're getting better as a unit. So you talk about the back end, and I, I don't think we can talk about the success of the Toronto Rock, we don't mention that defense and the way Nick Rose has been playing. I think a lot of people kind of wrote you guys off. And did you guys use that as a bit of fuel for the fire? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year wasn't a great year. I think we were probably a, a better uh, better team than our record indicated. But at the end of the day, uh, your record is what it is. So uh, Rosie's done a good job. And, and, we, you know, we've gotten a little bit bigger and a little bit more athletic this year in the back door. And uh, Bruce, he's come in with a system that's uh, – certainly helped too and I, I think it's just kind of helping Rosie uh, just a little bit more stability and kind of knowing where some of the shots are going to be coming from um, this year so uh, but, but he's been great for us I mean we're you know we're not probably going to be 4-1 and one and, and uh, having the goals against without him back there so it's been real solid. Yeah and, and you know Challen Rogers may be going a little bit under the radar because of the things that Schreiber and Kieran are doing out the front door and he's had a, a steady year at the back end for you guys and just been a calming presence and athletic presence up the floor, but I don't think we can talk about your rookies without mentioning Latrell Harris. And you guys, you know, I remember the video that was put out, um, and, and all you guys sitting at your draft table said, I'm willing to take a gamble on this guy. Let's see what he can do. And, and Dowick told me and he's professed to me that he thinks he's going to be one of the prizes of last year's draft class. How impressed have you been with a kid who's still in high school? Uh, it's it's shocking. I you know I always talk about it and laugh about it. Uh, what he's doing at his age, uh, you know, <laughs> and what I was doing in uh, yeah. uh, at his age, it's it's certainly quite a bit different. But yeah, you know what we we went out a you know a little bit on limo. We obviously liked him, but he was young, and we figured uh, you know he might get into a game or two this year. Um, but you know this was going to be a project moving forward, and uh, from the first day of camp, he's just come out and uh surpassed and been above and beyond uh as a player and a person like we just we have not enough uh, good things to say about him so he's been he's been really really good and he's helped us out and, uh, and this was challenge as well and uh, all our rookies so it's been it's been good it's been a good start for you guys and it's been an interesting start to the year in the eastern division with yourself and george at the top and buffalo and new england at the bottom with rochester kind of perilously right in the middle um is it just mind-boggling how crazy this year has been, especially with the way George has been playing? Yeah, you know the the NLL never really seems uh, you know to surprise me, but uh, you know I, I think Georgia. You, you look at Georgia, and they're obviously very talented out the uh, out the front door, and uh, they have some key injuries this year. So I think when you look at that, and you see King being out and and uh, Paulus that uh, you probably wouldn't think they'd be going as well as they're going, but uh, they certainly are, and Jordan Hall's obviously helped. Yeah. Uh, a little bit surprised about Buffalo, but you know what? This, you know, they are so, also the team that can, um, you know, they can they can win seven in a row, eight in a row, and get right back into it. So it's that's the type of league it is, and uh, certainly no one's out at this point. Um, and uh, I'm sure everyone's going to kind of come back to earth, whether uh, us not maybe playing as well and other teams getting better. It's uh, every game is a big game in the National Lacrosse League, but this game with you guys in Georgia this weekend, uh, a battle for first place and real measuring stick for both teams. How excited are you for your guys to be able to play in a in a game that's going to be a very playoff like atmosphere? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going to be good because we really haven't seen him in a while. We saw him uh, early last year. We only played him twice, and uh, it's kind of the first quarter of the season, and we, uh, you know, we didn't we just didn't play very well. We, you know, um, so it's going to be good to have another look at them. Obviously, it's a different team, and they're they're playing well, but um, it's going to be a good measuring stick. You know, we had a real good game against a very good Calgary team the other night, and uh, this is going to be another test. So. Um, It'll be good to kind of see where we are, where defense matches up against their uh, high-potent uh, offense. Are you having fun coaching? No, I love it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, certainly wouldn't be doing it uh, if, if I didn't love it. I obviously got a uh, young family at home. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoy it. And, um, you know, there's always been some turnover at the coaching staff over the past year, and it's it's been great to uh, have Maddie in here and Brucey and uh, just a kind of different view on things, and it's uh, – it's been been a lot of fun so far. What's more fun, coaching the Rock or watching the Oilers? <laughs> uh, coaching the Rock is probably more stressful for sure, but uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun watching the Oilers this year after uh, a long time of um, uh, being painful to watch. So it's it's, it's been good this year. Blaine, it's always a pleasure catching up. Uh, best of luck this weekend and continue success throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, great. Thanks, Teddy. Take care. There is the Prairie Dog. Blaine Manning, offensive coach for the Toronto Rock. Him, Maddie Sawyer, and Bruce Codd doing an incredible job. It's funny to think that Blaine's the only holdover from last year's coaching staff that included John Lovell and Dan Latasseur. And obviously Dan is down with the Georgia Swarm coaching that offense. And they'll get to reunite handshakes this weekend when the Swarm and Rock face off. In Toronto, by the way, on Friday. But this Rock squad, when you look at, like, McCardle, Kieran McCardle and Schreiber were both undrafted free agents that Dowick signed. Challen Rogers has had a fantastic start to the year. He went number two overall. And kind of like I mentioned with Blaine, he's kind of gone under the radar. And not because he's not having a good year. It's just that there's so many other guys in that Rock offense that are just kind of overshadowing him. And then you throw in Latrell Harris, who scored one of the goals of the weekend. And this Rock team has really said, you know what? It doesn't matter that we have no Doyle or Shooter or Rob Hellier. We've changed the motto and the the mentality of this group. And we are ready to take on all. All that come our way. Last year was last year. And this year we are moving forward with one goal in mind. And that is getting back to the Champions Cup final. And this game against the Swarm will be a huge statement game. If they can knock off the Swarm. Huge game. And I think that with a win. You have to look at this Toronto Rock as. You know. Obviously the top team in the East. But contenders to take on the rush. And the rush are no slouches themselves because now they've won four straight and are looking to be in control of everything that they do out West. The run that they went on against the Rochester Nighthawks was just mind-blowing. They were down 8 7 at halftime. They would outscore Rochester 
fourteen to four to win it twenty one to twelve. That is ridiculous. But it's been the M.O. of this team for the past two or three years. Is they've always been able to, you know, whether they were playing good or bad, and this is the true sign of a championship team, whether you're playing a good or bad game, to be able to find that next gear in the fourth quarter when you need it and you need to put a team away, it's what Saskatchewan did best last year. And they're starting to find that swagger again. It was the one thing that I really liked from Colorado on the weekend. Is that it was 3-3 at halftime with them in Vancouver. And they weren't playing a good game at all. And they knew that they were going to be okay. And it's just like the Saskatchewan rush. No matter the situation. The belief within that locker room, they know it's going to be okay. Whereas now you look at a team like Vancouver who's lost five straight, Buffalo who's struggling, New England who's struggling. When you get into the third and fourth quarters and you have a lead, maybe it's a one or two goal lead, or you're coming from behind, the positive outlook isn't there anymore. And the seed of doubts get planted a whole lot easier. And that's why I'm really worried about this Vancouver club. That's why I'm worried about Buffalo, especially this weekend for the Bandits. The Bandits are in a very, very tricky position going into this weekend. They're 1-4. They're taking on the 2-4 and four New England Black Wolves twice. And if they lose both of those games... They fall to one and six, nearing the halfway point of the year. And they could be in a hole that they just couldn't or may not be able to get out of. And if that's the case, then what does GM Steve Dietrich do? Does he become an instant seller? Because I know that there's already some talks with teams trying to start this early movement process. And we talked about it two weeks ago when I said, I don't know how many deals are out there to be made. And it could be because GMs value their own players more than what they're you know, trying to get or give up, which is understandable. You always want to put more value on your own guys, which means that in return you'll ask for more, which often leads to why a lot of deals don't get done. But I think there could be some deals made if Buffalo loses both those games. If Vancouver loses this weekend to Calgary and they drop to two and six and they now become two and a half games out of the final playoff spot, what does GM Doug Locker do? They've tried both goaltenders. They, the only person that hasn't played for them this year has been Corey Conway. There's been no sign of Tyler Garrison if he's going to be healthy and coming back. Curtis Hodgson is on the shelf. Ryan Wagner is hurt. Sorry, um, Hogarth is hurt. Thomas Hogarth. 
There was rumors that it was a knee injury. Then there was rumors it was mono. It's undisclosed at this point in time. James Ray has played, but he hasn't been as successful as they wanted him to. And they had a lot of right-handers out the front door last weekend. They had Dutch and Billings and Ray and McCready all going out that side. And with Corey Conway being rumored to being close to coming back, then what do you do? I think if you're going to run that offense, you got to give Reese Dutch as much room as you can out there. And they're better off running six guys out the front. So when we get to week eight, and we're nearing the midway point of the year, a couple more losses and, and, and the sale signs might be being posted in some windows. Strangely enough, the first job in the National Lacrosse League that has become available is the president of the Saskatchewan Rush. Now, it may not be a publicly opened job to be had, but in breaking news on Tuesday, Lee Jeunier on his own personal Twitter account um, tweeted out that he was sad to announce that he was having to leave the team. And immediately rumors started floating around. Um, speculation started to come about of, of why this would happen. Why would a guy that was handpicked by Bruce Urban a couple years ago to lead this team into Saskatoon and, and a guy that has turned this organization around from a uh, merchandise standpoint, from a fan standpoint. Like He is one of the ma- major reasons this team has been so successful in Saskatoon was the work that Lee Genier did. He was there before anybody else in Saskatoon. He was helped putting the footwork and, and the, the plan in place. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, he announces that he's leaving the team. Well, it turns out that unfortunately his brother is quite sick with throat cancer and he has been, had been given some time of leave of absence by Bruce Urban to spend some time back in Calgary with his brother um, to help him through this process. But it appears that it has become too much for him and he needs to be closer to his family and closer to his brother more often. So this is the reason that he is having to step down and leave the team. It's unfortunate, but it's something that I think everybody in some way, shape, or form can relate to, having a family member uh, dealing with this unfortunate battle. And we all wish um, Lee and his brother and his family um, the best of luck in this battle. But for the rush, it's a huge loss because Lee was a big part of that organization and, as I said, a big part of their success. And with his number two, Andrea, um, she's about to go on maternity leave. And so that kind of leaves a bit of a hole at the top of the Rush organization. Now, it shouldn't affect anything that goes on on the floor. And it wasn't made clear that um, once uh, Lee and his family and his brother, um, once this ordeal kind of plays out if he'll be welcome back or if he's going to be allowed back. None of that was ever said. Um, Bruce Urban stated that the team is going to hold a fundraiser uh, for Lee Genier and his family to help support them, uh, which is fantastic. I'm sure everybody across the league, as they always do, will somehow try and chip in. But it's just 
since we haven't seen an official statement from the rush, makes this all sort of interesting in my opinion. There's been no official statement posted online, um, sent out to the media, at least that I've seen, by the rush. There have been a couple um, tweets from Saskatoon media people. Um, Pat McKay tweeted out um, the reason why he was leaving. Um, a couple other news stations, media, of uh, TV and radio, have some quotes from Bruce Urban. But you would think that the way this played out, that there would be some sort of formal statement. And again, we still haven't seen that from the rush. So um, we're sticking by and waiting for that to happen. But I just don't know. Obviously, we're not making light of, of Lee's brother and his cancer situation. I think it's very admirable that he's doing what he can do to help his brother and be close to his family. But it just seems like it's not as amicable as it appears. But again, not my place to pry. Um, I will continue to ask the questions when they are available, but until we learn more, this is all we know. So we have to move on. And where we move on is to the rush and mammoth this weekend. And a huge, and I mean huge, Western battle for first place. And the way that the Mammoth kind of started their season, I didn't know if this was going to be the case with the, the rush dropping their first two games. I didn't think this would be the case, but there's some pretty cool storylines in this game. Obviously, the first place battle is won, but it's the first time that Zach Greer and Adam Jones have had a chance to play against their former teams in a real live game. And when I talked to Zach Greer after the game Sunday night in Vancouver, um, when I was interviewing him for the Mammoth website, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, what are your thoughts going into this game? And is there going to be any, um, you know, feelings of, um, you know, emotional feelings or, or apprehension or anxiety or just, you know, a little soft spot, a little tear in the eye or anything like that? He's like, nope, nothing. We're going in there to win. And I was like, so, you know, you you don't hold any, you know, soft spot for the organization or the team. He's like, nope, we're going in there to win. Yeah, sure, we're all buddies, and after the game we'll have a beer, but this is a business trip. And we're going in there to win, and we're going in there to take first place. And you could see in his eyes, it was like a stone cold dead eye look right into the camera he's like nope nothing I was like wow I haven't seen that side of Zach Greer before but that's just his focus and that was one of the biggest reasons that Steve Govett wanted to make that trade and was happy making that trade because Zach Greer is a competitive guy with a winning pedigree and you don't find those guys too often and he has fit in perfectly with this Colorado club it didn't take him long to, to figure out Chris Gill and Dan Stroop's offense. And he continues to be a massive leader for this group, both on and off the floor. He's their second leading scorer right behind Callum Crawford. And with Junior out and with Noble out, and now we don't know the status of Crawford, who only played half the game in Vancouver. Zach Greer is the veteran on that team. He's the veteran O guy out the front door. 
and he has just played this constant pro role. And it's been so cool to experience firsthand to see a guy like that come into a new organization and, and a new family and just not miss a beat. And his ability to lead by example and guys just want to follow his role and follow his lead. And one of those guys has been Brent Adams. Now, Brent is in his technically second year in the National Cross League. He was a, a member of the New England Black Wolves a little while ago, but never really transformed into anything. And he was welcomed to a camp in Denver this year, and, and he made the team out of camp. And he has just been a sponge. Him and Nick Asello. It's just incredible to see these two young guys flourish in this game. And I know they haven't had the success, say, of Schreiber or, or Kiernan McArdle or some of the other Americans, but they're still young, and they haven't really been put into the position as those guys in The Rock have been. You know, Nick Ocello is just getting his feet wet in the NL, as is Brent Adams. But if they play the way that they've been playing, I think they have quite a future in the indoor game, and Brent Adams just, you know, it was funny, before the game, Dan Carey said to me, he looked at me while we were sitting on the bench, and he says, Brent's going to get two tonight. Well, Brent, he did a little more than get two. Here's Adams in, scores. And I believe that is Adams' very first goal in the National Lacrosse League. Brent Adams ties the game up at three. Here's Adams, a drive low on Goodwin, and he scores. We are tied. Steers him down low now, McLaughlin. Feet across, Seber stopped by Belanger, steers it into the corner. Lentz goes after it, McFedrich in there as well. Oh, my. The play still continues. Here's a chance in front, and it's in. It's over. Mammoth win it. The moment when Jake Elliott says, oh, my. That was the hit of McFetridge on Mallory. And you could tell from Jumbo's reaction that it was a bad hit. But the thing that Adams did was he played till the whistle. One thing coaches teach all their players from Pee Wee all the way up. Play to the whistle. And McFetridge and Lintz both stopped after the hit on Mallory and allowed Adams to cut through the middle of the floor Nobody around him for 10 meters. Take his time and put it past Ty Belanger for the game winner. I caught up with Brett earlier on Tuesday, and you could tell that he still had the energy and excitement from Sunday's game in his voice all the way from Denver. But the first thing I asked him was, you know, how cool is this whole experience of being an American guy and being accepted into the Mammoth family and having some success in the National Lacrosse League. Oh, I mean, it's it's a great honor. I, I my first NLL uh, game was actually in Colorado when I was playing for Fairfield. Uh, we had a you know we had a free night before a game against uh, I think it was Air Force, and uh, I remember just you know falling in love with it right there. It was you know the pace of it. I had no idea you know the following that there was you know the fans in Colorado, um, you know are obviously great. And, uh, yeah, it's just been, it's been a great experience for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's awesome, especially, you know, at this late in my career to have new goals to kind of work towards, um, you know, in this league. You started off with New England as a practice roster guy. It didn't quite work out. Uh, you get out to Colorado. 
how important you talk about late in your career. You're still pretty young, but um, you yeah. soaked everything up as a sponge. How important has it been for your career to sort of find this new avenue to stay in the game? I mean, I've always tried to kind of expand what what has made me, you know, obviously in the field game, it's it's kind of my speed that's uh, made me successful. But I always want to make sure that I'm, you know, when I first came into the MLL, I was uh, playing primarily on defense and slowly kind of transitioned into, you know, a two-way guy. And now I think my role will be a little bit more offensive with the outlaws. But, um, yeah, just always making sure I'm conscious of, of expanding my game and expanding my abilities um, you know, to be a you know more versatile player is is definitely what I'm always thinking about. You maybe not have had such high expectations and visions of getting into three straight games uh, when the year started. How nervous were you in that first game uh, when you got the nod and knew you were going to be making your debut? Yeah, I mean, with the support of these guys and and you know my family and everyone telling me you know you do great, just have fun out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't really. Um, nervousness as much as it was anxious, uh, just kind of, you know, I remember when the national anthem was playing, I was just kind of getting the chills, like, all right, here we go. This is, uh, you know, first game, see how, how, how it goes. Obviously not try to overthink things and just, uh, you know, a bunch of people are just saying, hey, you've been playing this game your entire life. Obviously it's a different, different game, different beats for sure in the indoor, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm confident in my abilities and, uh, you know, just kind of relied on that. The big thing Americans always kind of say are, are the, the hardest adjustments are uh, the confined spaces, the boards, the extra hitting, and the smaller nets with bigger goalies. What's been the biggest adjustment for you? I think, honestly, it's it's when to use my speed and how to use my speed. You know, there's there's certain slow game down. I mean, the, the pace is so fast, 30-second shot clock often, and, you know, you're only getting 20 or 15 seconds of that, and you really just have to kind of, take a break, you know, take inventory, see what's going on in the offense and, uh, you know, kind of read and react there. So I, I think, you know, and not just kind of use my speed whenever I can. Um, so that, that's that been the toughest thing, I think, is to – because I know I, I can, you know, I trust myself to, to beat someone one-on-one or, mm. you know, play within the system. But, uh, you know, the, the ability to just kind of get around somebody but still, you know, be tight and not lose them too much or I'm losing my angle towards the goal. Um, or to just to, to draw another person um, has definitely been the biggest adjustment for me. It's been cool to see, you know, yourself and, and Nick Costello, uh, you know, having some success. And Nick's been great in the two games he's been playing this year. Yeah. But to also see, you know, Schreiber and McArdle in Toronto playing well. Is it cool to see this new kind of generation of American guys having success this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's great hearing the encouragement from all the Canadian players, you know, that yeah. everyone says that, you know, what this league needs is, is a bunch of Americans to come in and, and kind of bring the sport, uh, you know, a little bit more south in terms of popularity and, and people playing and everything. And I, I, you know, once I started playing, I, you know, did leaps and bounds for my, my stick work. And, you know, I harp on, on that for with uh, the kids that I coach all the time. It's like on the off season, hey, you know, get in the indoor, you know, you know, I would really encourage, you know, people that are trying to, you know, that are in college even to take, uh, you know, take a trip up to Canada for summer ball um, if you have aspirations of playing after college. Because um, it really, you know, with, with more Americans playing, you know, it just kind of, it sharpens the skills for the outdoor game for sure. You spent a summer up in Ottawa with Callum. Was that a, an eye-opening experience for you? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, you know, when, with uh, the practice squad on the Black Wolves a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I got in for a scrimmage, but you know, I was still playing on uh, a short rink, and uh, you know, still not you know a full game. So getting up there and playing on cement with guys with wooden sticks was definitely eye opening, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But uh, you know, I enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, you know, hoping to. Open up my schedule will allow me to get up and play a little bit more up there because you know the the passion and and the the skill that are uh, in those summer ball games is you know it's, it's, you can't find it anywhere else um, obviously other than the the NLL but people obviously still say that the NLL is the top of the top and I'm you know I'm glad to have uh, you know at least gotten a couple touches before this uh, this season in this training camp up there. Well, you really put a statement uh, uh, with your name this week, and let's go back to Sunday in Vancouver. Uh, you know, yeah, sure. it was it was a it was a slow start in that first half, but uh, you were able to get your first NLL goal, with, which was uh, a case where you were able to use your speed, shorthanded, beating a a one on two. But you know, what were the thoughts going through your mind? Because you saw the reaction of everybody off the bench giving you high fives and props and chest bumps. Yeah. What was that feeling like when you scored your first NLL goal? It was kind of like a, just a release, you know, to get the monkey off my back there uh, to get that first one because obviously, you know, played played in a couple games prior, had a few shots um, that I thought were, you know, kind of good good shot selections but uh, didn't fall and uh, kind of it was a little bit of a mental block. So uh, that that was uh, it was a very fitting goal for me, I think, because those are the situations, you know, those broken plays where, you know, we're short or something like that that I really feel most comfortable in. Um, just, just use my feet, be an athlete, and, and try and make something happen. But, uh, yeah, I was able to get that one in, and it was finally like, all right, I'm good. You know, kind of settle down a little bit more and uh, try to make some more happen. You, you ended up scoring a, a beautiful diving goal for your second, and obviously the overtime goal is a huge one and, and one that was big for the team. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But um, you and I talked after the game, and, and I said to you, the pass you made to Mike Mallory, uh, for the goal in the fourth quarter uh, was one of the nicest passes you've seen. And you said that was probably the moment you were most proud of. Why, why did you feel that way? Uh, because the other goals, I mean, it was really, to, you know, things that I've done and I know I can do, um, you know, to be successful in practice or, yeah. you know, in any of the other games. Um, you know, I know I can kind of use my speed to, to beat someone one-on-one um, and get a shot off and then, you know, um, with the overtime goal, I was wide open, so there wasn't really much yeah. of uh, you know me doing anything but finishing there. But yeah, that that pick um, and pass to Mallory was just kind of like, all right, like you know, I, I'm not just a one-trick pony and kind of can feed the ball a little bit more. And that's definitely something that I was thinking about. Um, you know, talking to Eli, I remember he said something about it, just saying, hey, you know, make sure you're moving with your head up and. Uh, Definitely something that I, I need to make sure that I'm doing is as I'm moving, looking over the other side to the lefties, um, and not just kind of getting tunnel vision on that right side when I'm uh, in the two-man game. So you know, yeah, I was really really excited to to be able to put that one in the uh, in the box for him there. The 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 two guys you just mentioned, Mallory and Eli, were part of that game-winning goal. Obviously, the the loose yeah. or the the loose ball by Mallory was massive, and he took that. Oh yeah, hit, uh, which started everything, but. The patience you showed to score that game winner wasn't something you normally see from a guy who's only in his third game, but that's just a huge team goal uh, for you guys, but an even more important win for you guys going into Saskatchewan this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I mean, can't say enough about that loose ball by Mallory. Uh, you know, he got a tough one in there. I was right behind him, and, uh, you know, for some reason it was weird. It was kind of like everybody just stopped. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was honestly, it was like quiet. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm wide open. <laughs> you know, I hope, I, I hope he sees me. I hope he sees me. But, uh, yeah, he found me, of course, and, uh, you know, was able to just kind of uh, – I scored one goal far side before, so it just kind of faked one one near and went far and was able to kind of stuff through. It actually, it, you know, it hit Ty and kind of trickled down his shoulder, so I had to watch it for an extra, extra <laughs> second for – yeah, I actually knew it was a goal, but, yeah, it went in, and uh, yeah, it was great. You guys are now a half game back to Saskatchewan going into your game this weekend. Uh, a bit of a short week having played on Sunday, but uh, what's the focus and the feeling in the locker room going into a game that's for first place? Uh, just to, you know, keep up and everyone moving in the same direction. You know, that's, that's been the thing, the big thing that, that Patty has been saying in the locker room and everyone pulling together and, uh, you know, having that common goal and, just making sure we're doing our roles. And, uh, you know, Saskatchewan has a great defense so offensively. You know, we've we got to make sure that we're keeping the floor balanced and, uh, you know, making sure we're using the full 30 and getting good looks and not, not just forcing it in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our D's our been playing great. And, um, you know, they're just going to keep up what they're doing, keep banging bodies. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of keep, keep on the same mentality and, and make sure that, uh, you know, we're not looking past this game at all. Well, it's going to be an incredible matchup, and I know you got to get busy doing your things back in Denver, so appreciate you giving us some Absolutely. time, buddy. Uh, uh, keep up the great work. It's incredible seeing you and Nicky Ocello getting some time, and I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much for your time, and uh, best luck the rest of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. There he is from Norwalk, Connecticut, Brent Adams, living in Denver. Uh, be a good game for him uh, with family up in the Connecticut area. You can expect that he's going to be hitting up uh, a lot of the BC guys for their extra tickets. Uh, he will have a rather large following when the Mammoth head to uh, the Mohegan Sun, sorry, in two weekends when they head back east. Mammoth aren't home in Colorado until the beginning of March. Uh, they have to go to Calgary, sorry, they go to Saskatchewan this weekend and New England next weekend. And it's going to be interesting to see. We kind of talked about it with, with no John Grant. He's, you know, there's no timetable for his return. Uh, Jeremy Noble is week to week when he'll be back. Uh, Callum Crawford, his lower body injury is going to have to be evaluated and looked at um, to see if he's even going to be able to play this weekend uh, against Saskatchewan. So Brent Adams could easily be seeing a lot more floor time. And the way that this offense is going right now, you know, they were down two guys for the whole, pretty much the whole second half of that game. Acello got the match. Crawford was hurt. And so they played that game, you know, two men down and were able to find that extra push. And the offense started clicking and Dylan Ward is playing his usual strong role at the back end. Uh, Cam Holding had like a 12-hour flu and was sick the entire night before, didn't make shoot-around, and had I think had a game-high 12 loose balls uh, and a couple forced turnovers. Like that, those types of efforts are, are what help teams you know, really take the next step into becoming elite lacrosse clubs. Efforts like those from veterans and from rookies, and you see it all across the National Lacrosse League. Just, you know, look at the the guys who stepped up in the Saskatchewan game. Church and Matthews, I think, both had 10 points. And it's just phenomenal 
to see the performances that we've been seeing this year. And it just makes the National Cross League that much more exciting when every game is up in the air and you never know what's going to happen until the final whistle. A couple things to um, news of notes worthy. Uh, the National Cross League um, extended their partnership with the Right to Play program and the community out- outreach program, which I think is something that is just incredible and I think if you're a player and you're listening to this um, I know all of them do kidding Um, but if you're a part of the National Lacrosse League and you can get involved with Right to Play and you can go to some of these smaller communities whether they be in northern Ontario or up in Nunavut or in the Northwest Territories or going to some of these uh, the native communities uh, across this country to help provide the game and, and teach kids the game or you're selected to be a, a true global ambassador like Andrew McBride and Kluski used to do when they were going to Africa and they were going to some of these countries that had no idea what lacrosse was just to bring them sport and just to bring them physical activity and help them learn and do something different and bring smiles to their faces. That's what this partnership will help do. And if you can get involved in it by being an ambassador, whether it's in your local city or, or somewhere in Canada or somewhere in your state or province in the United States, or you get to go worldwide, be a part of it. Because Right to Play is one of the greatest um, organizations out there, and it was something that I really wish I was able to be a part of. Um, and this is just something that makes me really happy to see this um, partnership being extended because I think it's a great thing. And I think it's a great thing because it allows the guys to give back other than just to, you know, the grassroots program, which is imperative, but it's a different kind of grassroots. You know, there's grassroots of, you know, starting the grassroots program, say, in um, in Rochester or New England or down in Georgia or Saskatoon, for that matter, is to get, you know, these rural areas playing the game of lacrosse so we can get more kids playing. That's fantastic. But when you get to go to these impoverished communities or um, downtrodden villages, it's a completely different thing. And uh, I was so happy when I saw the email and all the press releases going out um, about Right to Play in the National Lacrosse League. So if you can be a part of it as a player or a fan, if you want to get involved and volunteer, um, please do so. They operate in more than 20 countries worldwide, including Canada. They're, They're active in 85 First Nations across Ontario Manitoba, Alberta, and BC. Um, they help promote life skills and Aboriginal youth. It, it is phenomenal. I, I know so many guys that have been a part of it, and it has really left a big impact on their lives and makes them want to do it even more. Uh, it, it's like going to an NLL game. Once you see it once and once you do it once, you're hooked. So if you can get involved in Right to Play, please do. It is a fantastic organization and outfit. Uh, you can go to their website, righttoplay.ca, or you can go find out the article on nll.com. We don't usually get to talk about interesting transactions on a Tuesday because it's often early in the week, and the big moves don't come out till Wednesday or Thursday once all the league reviews get done. Um, but there are some pretty interesting news of notes today. And it started yesterday when the Swarm placed Johnny Palace on the active roster evaluation period from the PUP list, physically unable to perform. Um, So what this allows them to do 
is that this allows Johnny to practice with the team this week and they can figure out if they want to activate him fully. If not, then they have to either put him on the IR or move him to some sort of holdout list. Um, so that's crazy to think that the Swarm could get scarier with Johnny Palace back. And then just today, uh, the Black Wolves play Scott Self on the retired list. So uh, it's sad to hear that Scott Self is going to hang them up, but he hadn't been playing much for them this year. He was on their physically unable to perform list as well. Um, so sad to see Selfer hang him up if this is truly um, what he's going to be doing. Uh, the Bandits placed Bryce Brochu on the active roster from the injured reserve second list. He was one of their draft picks this year. And to make room for Bryce, they released Daryl Veltman. And not released and put him on a practice roster or released, put him on the pup list or injured reserve list. Just released him. Veltz only played four games this year for the Bandits. He had seven points. Um, he, he just wasn't getting it done for them, apparently. And Steve Dietrich had to make a decision. And they just decided that it wasn't going to be with Daryl Veltman. And so they activate Bryce Brochu, the lefty um, out of Welland, Ontario, went to Wheeling Jesuit. He was their fourth-round pick, 39th overall uh, this past draft class. He's a big body, 6'2", 195, and, you know, will give them some size and give them a bit of a more athletic, different look. But interesting to see that now Daryl Veltman is free for anybody to pick up that might want a left-hander, a veteran guy. Good hands on the crease. Likes to cut to the middle. Wouldn't surprise me if one of those Eastern teams might give a bit of a sniff. Or anybody for that matter. But these are the times we live in in the National Lacrosse League where just like that, just, you know, look at the situation with Keegan Ball in Vancouver. You know, Ball was one of Vancouver's best players when he was in the lineup for them. And he still in their top 10 of scoring with 12 points, and he hasn't played in the last four games. And I'm not saying part of their losing streak is because they released Keegan Ball, but they haven't won without him. But again, it's just the way the National Lacrosse League we live in right now where players become expendable. And sometimes you just have to cut ties with a guy. Vancouver did it with Ball. Now Buffalo does it with Feltman. And I was surprised when Ball didn't get picked up. I'll be just as surprised if Feltman doesn't get picked up. But we just keep on moving forward. Before we get out of here, Thursday is the Western Lacrosse Association draft. And teams are starting to make a little bit of noise. And it comes on the heels of the WLA releasing their 2017 schedule. It'll start May 19th as the Vancouver... Wow, that was way off. The Victoria Shamrocks will host the Langley Thunder to kick things off at the Q Center on the 19th. Uh, And the season will go all the way um, deep into June. But it all starts... The real business all starts Thursday with the draft. And you can watch how your teams do live on WLALacrosse.ca. Draft goes at 7 o'clock. But as mentioned, there was a bit of a trade. 
And we've seen a lot of trades, actually, in the past few weeks in the WLA. And this one involved the Burnaby Lakers and the Langley Thunder. The Lakers exchanged the playing rights to Nick Billich and Mark Matthews. In exchange, the Thunder get the 4th overall, the 11th overall in the upcoming draft, as well as Burnaby's first-round pick in next year's draft. And if you wonder, you know, I wonder how many draft picks Langley now has in the first round. Well, how about this? They now hold the number 1, 4, 5, and 6 picks in the first round. You know how many other teams pick in the first round? Two. That's right, two teams other than the Langley Thunder pick in the first round of the WLA draft. And somehow, they're the two island teams. Nanaimo picks two and three, and Victoria picks seven. Langley, Nanaimo, Nanaimo. Langley, 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 Victoria. That is your first round. And then Langley just so happens to have the first pick of the second round. So they have one, four, five, six, and eight. I'm pretty sure the Langley Thunder are going to be loading up for some young, young talent. Now, the other side of this story is Nick Billich and Mark Matthews. Nick Billich has ties with the Burnaby organization, and he, as I have been told, is ecstatic to be a part of the Lakers. But the big question was, what was Mark Matthews going to do? Because he hasn't been out west for a few years now since a lot of the eastern guys from Langley went back home. Uh, He's never really been happy playing out east. He's often wanted out, enjoys his time out west. And when I talked to Tim Williams of the Lakers, he told me that they wouldn't have made this deal without talking to Mark. And that when they did talk to Mark and they told him they were going to be making this deal, he told them he couldn't be happier to be going to the Burnaby Lakers. And it just makes this WLA season that much more interesting. Um, There were rumors that the import rule was going to change again. It was going to revert back to what it used to be. Obviously, the Victoria Shamrocks are going to be players in the transfer market. Uh, That's their way they often do things. It helps that they have a first-round pick this year, um, but it is the seventh pick in the first round, so um, it could be tough for them to get one of the island guys they're hoping to get, especially with the Nymo picking two and three. But you know that they're going to try and go and get some marquee players to fill out their roster. They always do, especially with it being a Western Man Cup. Uh, Maple Ridge has bolstered their roster in getting Jeff Cornwall, um, Will Curtis Dixon come back west? Now Burnaby's made some moves. New West was stockpiling picks. Now Langley has pretty much has four of seven in the first round, five of eight in the first eight. It'd be interesting to see how this year plays out. New commissioner, Paul Del Monte, is, you know, working through his first year. Um, we don't know what the pay-per-view or the... Um, Online viewing is going to be this year. I believe the WLA's contract with Playful Screen is up. Um, so obviously they're going to have to either restructure, rework that, or find another provider. You have to imagine that the WLA is going to go back to webcasts. It's imperative for them, in my opinion. 
It would be awesome if they could get onto Shaw or a local cable channels uh, here in BC. Games used to be on TV here at West, but that's kind of gone the way of the dodo. But Del Monte was a part of the Ravens. He kind of knows the Vancouver market. He kind of knows a lot of people in high places. And we really hope that he does um, kind of change things in the Western Lacrosse Association. So um, that's still a couple months away, but that's the news that's being made. As mentioned, the draft goes Thursday. WLALacrosse.ca is where you can find out all the information on the draft and the trades and the draft order and all that good stuff. Um, I think that's it. I can't really think of anything else right now. Um, oh, yeah, there are some games this weekend. Um, we kind of mentioned them as we were going out and just talking about some of the games upcoming this week, but um, the games that are on this weekend, there's some interesting matchups. It starts Friday, Georgia at Tr- Toronto, that first-place battle. Um, obviously, that's going to be a huge game, and everyone's going to be watching that. But also on Friday, it's New England at Buffalo. And like I said, if Buffalo loses both these games this weekend against New England, I don't know if they can come back from it. And so that is a very key game. And then on Saturday, after playing Georgia, Toronto is going to hop on the bus, go down the QEW, get their passport stamped, head up the I-90, and they're going to find themselves in Rochester to take on their old foes again. And if Rochester plays the way they did in that second half against Saskatchewan last weekend, it is going to be a long night. Speaking of Saskatchewan, their matchup with Colorado is also on Saturday, as is the Vancouver at Calgary game. Vancouver losers of five straight. Calgary finding themselves in a bit of a hole after that loss to Toronto. You know, they're now 0-2 in their last two games. They want to get off the snide. And then on Sunday, Buffalo at New England in the redo. And then Rochester, after having played Toronto the night before, is going to have to get on a plane, fly down to Georgia, and take on the Swarm, who could either be very pissed off or extremely happy and looking to create a larger gap in the East. Every game is huge from here on out. It's crazy to think. But as teams keep falling off the pace, the teams at the top just get that much stronger. And you can't afford to lose ground, especially in the West, but even more so in the East if you're Buffalo, because you could be looking at a very tall hill to climb. And by the end of Monday, there could be some GMs making a few phone calls to some of these teams that might be on their way out. And we could finally start to see a little bit of action on the transaction wire other than releases. But this was an interesting week on the release wires already. So stay tuned. Go to NLL.com for all the information on transactions and news. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Uh, would love to hear from you, your thoughts on um, the play this year, your thoughts on the suspension, if you have any still, uh, your thoughts on the Americans having success in the National Acrostic right now. I know there's a lot of people real high on Schreiber and McArdle and, and Brent Adams and Nick Costello. And you can continue to go down. Kyle Busey, Kevin Buchanan is having himself here in New England again. It's, it's incredible to see, and I love seeing it. 
because the more Americans playing, the better off our product is. And with that, we will talk to you in a week time. Take a friend to a game and enjoy every single one. Until next time, be excellent to each other. Don't you know?